I want to continue with the discussion of the power of submission. And this is from Ephesians 5.21. Submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now these aren't just words thrown around. The writer Paul is not simply trying to fill up space. In the fear of the Lord is the operative reference to the superintending power. It's the Lord's power that is now being subject to this delegation requiring submission. In the last broadcast, I pointed out how the idea of submitting one to another has been replaced by the language submit to one another in an effort to make the scriptures resonate to contemporary social order, to the social order of equality, which I have observed and posited that equality as a social agenda presupposes at the core a society that accepts competition as the norm for that society. The alternative to equality is uniqueness the celebration of the part as it is, that it is unique, and the recognition that instead of competition, which demands equality, that what we, ha- what we ought to have and what the Kingdom of Heaven is about is we have corporiety. That is, that each part contributes uniquely to the whole and there is no duplication of parts. There is no duplication in function of parts, in design of parts. Why? Because what is a part of the body of Christ? A part of the body of Christ is a design by God and an endowment of spirit into that design endowment of spirit out of the person of God into that that design, that man, comprising of soul, body, soul, and spirit, by which God may appear uniquely in creation. So this is not a model that functions under the economy of the sweat of your brow. In that model, of course, we would want for there to be a level playing field, leveled by law that prevents the predator from devouring the prey, or from people becoming prey to others who have become predators, which is human society as it is right now, the survival of the fittest. Darwin was right in his observation of the survival of the fittest. 
But what he did not see, what evolution does not take into account, is this original intent by which even that which appears to be less vociferous, less aggressive, has value in presenting some of the more um, some of the characteristics of God that are closely aligned to his nature, to the manifestation of his nature, which is to love. And to love in the manner in which God loves, which is to lay down one's life. So it doesn't take uh, very deep digging to see that the social order that demands equality opposes God and does not recognize the value, the uniqueness of individuals, but exalts the environment of competition, rewarding those who are most predatory and consenting to the devouring of those who, are, who possess more the qualities of, of God, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, while exalting the, the qualities of power, domination, rule, dominion, and the rest of it. So no, it is not mutual submission. It is that there is an order by which there are those who have authority, who have been given authority by God for the benefit of those who have been placed under their authority also by God. And that has to do not with the me, Tarzan, you, Jane approach to life or me, uh, dominant one, you, dominated one. It does not in any way endorse the, 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 the consuming attitude of the strong as it relates to the weak. No, there is another way, you know. Because we were born into this social order, we give it the immediate imprimatur of the orthodox. No, in the beginning it was not so. In the beginning, submission was recognized as the means by which man had access to God and that's uh, to the authority of God. That's what God put in creation when he made man. That was the operative intention of God when he created Adam and Eve, looking to Christ and looking to the functioning of the spiritual man made in the image and likeness of God. It was in this way that man would take on the characteristics of God. So that was the original intent. Now there's no way to read Ephesians 5 and to conclude that one uh, 
that the submission spoken of here is to one another, that one submits to another and the other submits to the one. Here is why. Three set pieces are offered. Husbands and wives in chapter 5, in chapter 6, children and parents, and in uh, beginning at verse 5 in chapter 6, servants and masters. Three set pieces of who should submit to whom. So as you read it, what do you see? Here, here, just let's take a glance at it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what's the model? In the fear of the Lord, recognizing divine order. If this is a mutual submission, one submits to another and the other submits to the one, then not only should the wife submit to her husband, but the husband should submit to the wife. That's to one another. And not only that, not only should children submit to their parents, but guess what? One to another. Parents are to submit to their children because submit to one another, three set pieces, and masters should submit to slaves just like slaves should submit to masters. So the set pieces that are given to illustrate the principle of one submitting to another being perverted by contemporary theologians in order to appeal to the societal order that does not see what God sees would produce across the board social disorder of a frightening level. For when parents submit to children, then the the inexperienced and the amateur rules the wise and the prudent and society devolves to its lowest common denominator. When the workers, when the boss submits to the workers, there is no overarching vision because the workers think of their pay, the boss thinks of the profit that ensures that the workers get paid, and so on and so forth. So no, This is not about husbands submitting to wives as wives submit to husbands. Now, the perversion of this order in which husbands abuse wives is not for a moment countenanced by Scripture. Scriptures do not endorse the abuse of wives by husbands, not at all. That's why we judge matters. That's why if a husband is, is uh, alleged to be abusing his wife, not living with her in an understanding fashion, not providing for his own household and so on, not caring for her as Christ does the church, 
then he ought to be brought forth for judgment. She should bring the, the allegations against him and the church has a duty to bring into the light the secret works of darkness by which women and children are abused in a fashion entirely violative of the standards of Christ. That's why it is inexcusable for the church not to judge in domestic matters. And for the leader of the, one of the largest churches to say, who am I to judge, is to indicate his entire un, his, 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 the fact that he's entirely unqualified to hold any office of responsibility. No, this is what this is the word, this is the scripture. You know, we live in a time, I'll admit, we live in a time when people don't actually care what the word says. We live in a time when people, when, when the leaders make it up as they go along. Are we in doubt as to why the church has become so flatly relevant in our time? And why it holds no answers? to the world around us? This is why. I'm asking you to come back to the original intent. In the beginning, what was it? So as we proceed to look at these three set pieces for the one who should submit to the other, what we're looking at is the government of God and what is it designed to produce. Now in the beginning, in the beginning, Husbands and wives started out, Adam and Eve started out as one flesh. This was a type and shadow as we saw revealed here in Ephesians 5. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. If Adam and Eve represented one flesh, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, What then is the reference to Christ and the church, husband and wife, what is that a reference to? Clearly not one flesh. It's not Jesus and and us. It's Christ and the church. Jesus is a reference to the flesh that contained the spirit known as Christ. You know, when God raised him from the dead, when God raised up Jesus from the dead, according to Acts 1, according to Peter on the day of Pentecost, he raised him up not as Jesus of Nazareth, he raised him up as Christ. God raised him from the dead to be both Lord and Christ. Christ is a spiritual man. We cannot be assembled to the body of Jesus. He doesn't need, that body does not need another arm, another set of pair of eyes, uh, more parts. That body was complete when it was here, uh, living and walking on the earth. The body of Christ, however, is a spiritual man who is capable of receiving and assembling all of the parts of this body into one 
corporate man who is spiritual as opposed to the natural man who is natural. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is definitive on this point. Verse 12 begins by saying, now the human body, that's the implication, now the body is comprised of many members and though all the parts are many, yet they form one body. So he's starting with an understandable analogy to the human body. And then he goes on to say, and so it is with Christ. I'm using the human analogy to present the analogy of the body of Christ. Many members, one corporate entity, of which Christ then is the head, which means that all of the parts of the body are assembled as they were designed by God before time began to be assembled in this corporate man. So when God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, He was not talking about Adam, the first Adam. He was talking about the last Adam, a spiritual man. The first Adam was a man of dust, a man of the earth, but as we've borne the likeness of the man from earth, so also we should bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We are assembled into a spiritual man in a fashion reminiscent of how the natural man is assembled by its parts. So we belong, we who belong to Christ then are designated as one spirit. Whoever is joined to the Lord is of one spirit and that spirit is the spirit of Christ. So uh, the book of Romans, the eighth chapter tells us, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead resurrects us and assembles us into the corporate Christ and there are many members put into this one body under the rule of the head. What is the implication then? That all the parts are governed by the head. To put it in simple language, we are are all assembled into the body of Christ, having been selected, ekklesia, called out of the world, called into and assembled into the body of Christ to be subject to and governed by the authority of Christ. Now let me point out, when the book of Ephesians started out, it says that God saw us in Christ before the foundations of the world to the praise of the glory of His grace. How we are assembled into this body of Christ is depicted in three fashions, the husband and wife, the father and son, the master and slave. Each one references a particular insight into this assemblage. Now God put, according to Ephesians 1, 
God put everything in creation under the feet of Christ and made Him to be head over all things for the church which is His body. This is Ephesians 1. How we access that is what he's talking about in Ephesians 5. And the power of that assemblage vis-à-vis our enemy is what he talks about in Ephesians 6, where he talks about how we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and we are able to overcome as we remain clothed in Christ. So submission, submission is not optional. In this model, he's not talking about societal order in which the, the highest goal is equality and peace through equality. No. He's talking about the he's talking about the representation of God in creation in and through the body of Christ as a model by which the rest of society may arrange their affairs and arrange their relationships. We've been ordered and given to the body to, uh, to the world to show them who God is. This isn't about living your best life now. This is an idiotic perspective, devoid of the understanding of spiritual truth. And it is as clear a reference to a secular gospel where the emphasis is on consumerism than it is any reference at all to divine representation by which the world may understand what God is offering them through Christ. In the manner in which we love one another, we were designed to show the world that God loves the world even as God loved Christ. It's not about your best life now, it's not about what you may consume. These gospels have been run into the ground by the events that are currently unfolding upon the earth. And they will fall down as empty sacks that never possessed divine imprimatur and appealed only to those who wanted benefits to support and supply their flesh but never wished to submit to God. The night and the day are being separated and those who walk in darkness are being shown as different from those who walk in the light. Now, in, in, the beginning, in beginning Ephesians, by speaking of how God put everything under the feet of Christ and gave Him to be head over the church which is His body, and that this was what He saw, what God saw before the foundations of the world, marriage, uh, the, the husband and wife in marriage, the father and son in a family, the master and the servant in society are three set pieces depicting how the fear of the Lord 
confers authority to those who are under authority. That's what it does. Completely, you, you, can, you cannot see two, very, two things so distinctly different than the picture that I'm painting to you or painting for you to observe. So, let's begin with submission. In this reference that we alluded to, Ephesians 5.21, it is said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. The word submitting there is the word hupostasis, H-U-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. The the version of it that appears there is hupotasso, H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O, and it means standing under the authority of another, thereby possessing the authority of the other. It is the principle by which the lesser is empowered by the greater. So for example, man in Christ, man clothed in Christ, possesses the authority of Christ. So if you take the longest view of this, uh, if you look through the telescopic lenses, uh, the microscopic lenses would have us look at the social order of husband and wife, father and son, uh, master and servant. But that's against this other thing. These are representational models, each one speaking of a particular form of representation. We'll, We'll focus on each one of the three. The goal is for the one to be carried in the other. So the goal is for the nature of the man to be carried in the woman, the nature of the father to be carried in the son, the nature of the master to be carried in the servant. All three are particular frames of reference, particular emphases and we look intently upon each one as we continue this discussion. But it's about manifestations of authority in these three set pieces, specifically the manifestations of the authority of Christ, who in turn possessed the authority of God by His submission to the Father and then sent us in these three capacities empowered by the authority that the Father had which the Father gave to Christ. So the Kingdom of Heaven functions by a gift of divine authority from the Father God to Christ who said in constituting and deploying His Kingdom, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go ye therefore. 
And these are the three capacities, husband and wife, father and son, slave and uh, uh, master and servant. These are the three capacities in which we are meant to experience this supporting reality by which we are able to function in the earth representing the invisible God. I'm Sam Solon and we will deconstruct these three pieces of authority, these three forms of authority that derive from submitting to the one whose authority it is. Continue in the study with me. Blessings. Bye-bye.